Gracious and holy God, thank you for gathering us in your house today. May your spirit be upon us. May we hear this the scripture and, and hear your spoken word and know that, that you are with each and every one of us. I pray, oh God, that you will help me get out of the way, that you would touch my mind and my mouth, my tongue, my lips, but especially my voice and heart, oh God, that they might be in tune with one another, that I might proclaim your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we embark upon our third Sunday of Lent, can you believe it's already been three weeks? This is our third Sunday of Lent. We reflect upon the ups and downs of living a life of faith. Talking about faith is one thing, but then living that faith out each and every day is quite another. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. It's tough out there, isn't it? Our world, I'm meaning. It's tough out there. Sometimes it feels like the world is against people of faith at every turn. And admittedly, sometimes I think we feel as if our hearts and souls cannot take one more assault. I think this last week in the news, there were already a couple of more assaults on people of faith. Uh, of course, we keep the, feet, uh, the people of New Zealand in our hearts and prayers. And also, I was reading in the news and, and saw that a priest had been attacked and stabbed during the middle of worship. And so we hear these things and we think, how can this be God? How can we take one more assault? A spiritual battle seems to ensue each and every day of our lives between right and wrong. And more times than not, there seems to be areas of gray, right? In which make us reflect upon our own choices and our own path. There are times in each person's life that we have to overcome something in order to move beyond the circumstances we find ourselves in. In this Lenten sermon series, we are asking some key questions. How do we overcome? How do we overcome anxiety and fear? How do we overcome doubt, indifference, temptation? And today we're talking about how do we overcome opposition or rejection? We certainly can't do it on our own, can we, church? No. Paul told the church in Rome to place our faith in Christ, and the victory against such things can be ours. In fact, it says in Romans 8, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Overcoming is a spiritual issue, a spiritual battle, but it also has a military meaning. It means to conquer. If you saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge, you know what it means to overcome. How many people have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Well, it's based on the real-life unlikely hero of Desmond Doss. And you know immediately from watching this movie that he has to overcome a lot of obstacles in his life. Born in Virginia in 1919 to working-class parents, Doss volunteered for the Army in World War II. Due to his deep religious conviction, though, he had been called in his heart to never carry a weapon. And that did not change for him, even though he volunteered for the military. He trained as a medic and, ironically, was assigned to a rifle company. 
this deep conviction of faith earned him a few things. It earned him ridicule, rejection, abuse, and contempt from his fellow soldiers. But he never wavered. Can you imagine volunteering for World War II where you knew you were going to go to war against your enemy, but also then once you're in the midst of it that you're also battling your fellow comrades, your fellow soldiers? On April 1945, Doss's company fought the Battle of Okinawa. This is what the movie is based around. And it's known as the bloodiest battle in the Pacific. The key to winning this battle was gaining control of a sheer cliff the soldiers called Hacksaw Ridge. When the American forces were ordered to retreat, Doss could not leave the wounded behind. Even though this battle had been long and bloody, he could not retreat with the rest of the soldiers. He felt it call, that call upon his heart to stay and help the wounded. He stayed on the ridge crossing artillery fire time and time again to carry wounded soldiers to the edge of the cliff. And then he single-handedly lowered them to safety with a makeshift rope gurney that he fashioned together. He did this for 12 hours, 12 hours until he was sure that no wounded was left on the battlefield. And Desmond Doss saved the lives of 75 American men that day. 75. No wonder he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. Years later, he was asked how he found the strength and the courage to continue that night. His answer was simple. Each time he finished lowering one of the wounded men to safety, he prayed. Lord, just help me get one more. Lord, just help me get one more. Doss knew that he could not do this on his own. The only way he could overcome the opposition was with God and God's strength. His faith in God's presence gave him the strength and courage to do what he needed to do that night. Psalm 31:24 says this, "Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord." In today's scripture reading, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue as Pastor Marvin said, and news has been spreading about Jesus throughout the whole region and people were gathered into that synagogue to to hear Jesus and to see him that day. Now, after his baptism and the time in the wilderness in which he was tempted, Jesus went forth to proclaim God's good news, God's love, and God's grace. And following his preaching in the Galilee region, he entered his hometown, Nazareth. Now, if you remember the story of Jesus' birth, he, he's born there in Bethlehem, and uh, King Herod was uh, killing all of the, the young boys aged two years and younger, so the, his parents fled to Egypt. And so when they returned from that after Herod's death, he was brought back to Nazareth. That was going to be the town in which he was raised. And as a young boy, Jesus attended this synagogue with his father, where he participated in community worship regularly. He heard the scrolls read. He heard the book of law, the Psalms, and the prophets, and he grew in knowledge 
and wisdom and understanding. Now this little boy, Jesus, was grown up into this full-grown man coming back to speak and preach and teach at his own home church, so to speak. Have you ever had to do that? Go back to your hometown? Go back to your hometown and kind of stand in some kind of leadership position or to speak in front of your own hometown people? It's nerve-wracking. It is. I can remember a couple of years ago, I, I preached at my hometown church, North City United Methodist Church, and after I did, I can remember leaving thinking, well, that didn't go so well. You know, because you're, you just feel like you're out of your element. You, you're, you're somebody else standing there, and, and you are. You know, these are the people, though, that you think it should be easiest to speak to. These are the people who raised you, who knew you and loved you as a little girl or a little boy. But they also knew something else. They also knew the teenage you. Yeah, right? And they also knew the obnoxious you. And they also knew the brat sometimes that you could be. And so when you're looking out into the crowd of people that you were raised with, you have all of these memories kind of flood back of your childhood and how you grew up and some of the things that happened. My daughter, Laura, was driving. Um, she vi was visiting my mom and dad during a, a summer break. And I had been in ministry for a few years, and Laura ran to the grocery store for my mom for something to pick it up. And, and when she was in the grocery store, uh, one of my high school uh, uh, school members was there, and he was in the grocery store, and he, he recognized her, and he said, How's your mom? Laura said, Mom's fine. He said, What's she up to these days? And Laura said, She's a pastor. And he said, Your mother? Returning home a different person, right? One who has overcome the mistakes of your past is something is sometimes difficult for people to fully realize. Now, even though Jesus was without sin, and I'm sure he was not a brat, it was no different. You see, the people saw him as Joseph's boy. Joseph's boy who grew up there. And the scroll was handed to him that day to read, and it was from Isaiah. And as Marvin said, he's, he finds that spot in the scroll. He's translated it probably to Aramaic. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he wraps up that scroll and he hands it to the attendant. And then he says this, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Not in the future. Not in a little while. Today, the year of the Jubilee was going to begin and I can imagine the people who were there in that synagogue were thinking, oh, Joseph's boy, so proud. Until he told them something else they needed to hear. He said, undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me, 
Doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. They're wanting to see him do miracles. They're wanting to see him perform. And Jesus said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zephyrath in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman, the Syrian, was cleansed. Jesus makes it very clear here. He's not there just for the Jews. He's not there just for his own people. He is saying God loves all people. Gentiles and Jews, he wasn't there just for them. What do they do? They get angry. Infuriated, they turn on him. And and the son of Joseph dared tell him that God's love was for all people. That's what they're thinking. What did I just hear him say? How dare he? He's one of us. We're God's chosen. Does he not know that? They demanded Jesus give him a sign of his authority, and Jesus refused. He couldn't do miracles there because he knew their hearts. They were pretty hardened. They did not have the faith. So Luke finishes this story in the gospel with this. When they heard this, Everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. Now, this was a way of stoning in that time. Not only did people get stoned by throwing stones and hurling stones over and over again at someone, they also would run them off of an embankment and throw stones down upon them. And so he was about to get stoned. But then verse 30, but he passed through the crowd and went on his way. He stands tall and he walks right through. Prophet not accepted in his own hometown as he knew he would not be. And the people he once knew best turn on him. They reject the son of God. Even though Jesus knew he was doing the right thing, I am sure the human part of him hurt that day. Here are the people that he knew the best, the people that he loved growing up. And as he's walking back through that crowd, I can imagine the feelings that he had inside of him when he saw the faces of anger and hate and hurled insults that he hears It must have been painful. There's a popular myth, perhaps unspoken, that says it should be easy if we're doing the right thing. (laughs) No, it's not. In fact, call it 
resistance or spiritual warfare or even rejection, but the fact is that if you're trying to do anything significant, you will face opposition. Amen? There'll be someone who disagrees with you. That happens. And Jesus teaches us here in this moment how to face and to overcome in the midst of opposition. First of all, Jesus was in worship. Not just on that, on that day, but Jesus continually worshipped, and that was a part of his foundation. And when your heart is caught up in the worship of God, something happens to you inwardly. Your heart is changed, amen? Worship fills our heart, and God's love centers us on the things that matter. So after Wednesday night prayer group, and now Tim may not have that experience because he has to play during Wednesday night prayer group, but I get to actually sit and enjoy the worship experience. But on, after Wednesday night, I feel a little stronger. You know, singing God's praises and praying and listening for God's voice, trusting in God's goodness, Worshiping God helps me to face whatever is in my path in the future. The second thing this teaches us is Jesus was reading God's word. Not just in this moment, but he continued to read God's word. Implanting it in his heart over and over again. He grew up reading God's word. I would guess that most of us know the workings of a computer, right? I couldn't tell you exactly how a computer works, but I do know that once I download something into my computer onto the hard drive, I can pull it up anytime I need it, right? Well, that's kind of like reading God's Word. When we read God's Word, we're downloading it into our hard drive. So therefore, we can pull it up when we need it. We can remember God's promises and we can reflect upon that and find the strength that we need. When faced with opposition, I can recall Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I'm struggling with something, I can pull up Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for peace, not disaster, to give you hope with a future, right? Filled with hope. John 14 I can pull that up. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. You see, Jesus had all of this in his hard drive. He knew all of the, the promises from the prophets. He knew the scrolls, the wisdom, the, the psalms. And so that was giving him strength, the strength that he needed. And after Jesus found the strength from the Father in worship and prayer and reading God's word, then he faces what he must. That's the, the next thing he teaches us. He spoke the truth in love. In love's the key here. He spoke the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ. Our words must be clothed in love. Amen, church? <clears throat> Truth delivered harshly, judgmentally, unkindly, unsympathetically, or arrogantly, like we have all the answers, will not be heard or received well, will it? 
To overcome opposition, our words must come from our heart. How, how we say something is as important as what we say. And then finally, another top point, he did not respond. Note that he did not respond in anger. He did not respond in anger. I think this is probably the hardest part. The first thing our human nature wants to do in the midst of opposition is what? We want to defend ourselves, right? We want to defend ourselves. And it's easy to let anger take over. I think that's when I pray the hardest is when I'm angry. Because I'm praying over and over again, God, please do not let me react. Please let me respond. Please don't let me react. Please let me respond. You've heard people say, I got good and mad, right? I got good and mad. I don't think there's nothing good that can come out of when we say something when we're mad. Will Rogers said, people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. Ambrose Beer said, speak when you're angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. And an old Jewish proverb, a man who can't control his temper is like a city without defenses. And then finally, Dr. James Dobson, Satan's most successful maneuver in churches and Christian organizations is to get people angry at one another to attack and insult our brothers and sisters, thus splitting the body of Christ. Boy, isn't that timely. Jesus shows us how to respond when being attacked. Jesus responds with calm because you notice he, the Gospels do not record him saying a thing after that, right? The Gospels do not record him saying a word as he walks out. And sometimes it's best course of action to just keep our mouth closed. I can remember my mamma teaching me as a young girl, Terry Sue, if you don't have anything nice to say, I bet you can finish that. Don't say anything at all, right? Words in anger or haste are like peeling that banana. Once you've broken that natural seal on a banana and peel it back, there's no putting it back together again, is there? He walks right through the crowd. Now, there's a key to this. Sometimes you just have to walk away. But the key is that you have to walk away without a grudge, with a forgiving heart, as God teaches us. Love must guide us. Love must guide our speech and our action, even in the midst of opposition. Remember what 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm what? I'm a clanging gong and a clashing symbol. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it's happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. And then that last sentence, love 
never fails. Meaning, whatever we're faced with, rejection, hurt, opposition, insults thrown at us, if we respond in love, we will never fail. But we cannot do this on our own, can we? This is not something we're capable to do on our own. We have to have God with us in order to overcome this. God's love. We can only give what we have and what we've experienced. And those who follow Christ, what we hope to give is the love described here. The Apostle Paul defines love in this way. And when we're filled with the love of God through Christ, then we can overcome. Christ said, when we are weak, he is strong, right? At our weakest, that's when we lean into his strength the most. My grace is enough for you, Jesus said, because power is made perfect in weakness. I invite you to give your weakness over to God. We all know what we're weak at. We all know what we struggle with. To give that over to God and to lean into God's strength. Because with God, we can overcome. Amen?